0: Those movies and shows you're binging right now, they're really cool, huh? But you do realize that Jason Sudeikis and the stars of the L word, Generation Q, they can't do it all on their own. Behind the scenes, 60,000 workers with the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, IATSE for short, they put everything together. Lighting, cameras, sounds, props, costumes, hair, and so much more. They're among the most forgotten of Hollywood's magic makers. And now they might go on strike. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the L.A. Times. It's Thursday, September 30th, 2021. Today, we talk Hollywood. For months, IATSE negotiated with studios trying to get a better contract for its members. Better rest periods, improved wages, increased contributions to health and pension plans, that kind of stuff. But talk stopped, the contract expired, and on October 1st, tomorrow, members will vote on whether to authorize a walkout. We'll talk to LA Times entertainment industry reporter Anusha Sakui, who has been following the issue. And we'll also talk to a crew member anxious about the future of her job and the careers of her colleagues. Best Boy, Gaffer, Grip. The people in those credits used to skip at the end of movies, at least until the Marvel Cinematic Universe changed that game. They're largely members of IATSE, which dates back to 1893 and also covers people in the theater industry. Their low-profile work makes films and TV shows and plays possible. And if those members walk, production for all those industries stops indefinitely. Anusha Sukui is covering the potential IATSE strike and joins us now. Anusha, welcome to The Times. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: Give us a scope of IATSE. What, What parts of production rely on its members?
1: So they represent about 150,000 crew, but across all kinds of productions. So that would include stagehands for theatres, but also, you know, they staff the major film and TV productions nationally, really, and sometimes uh, in some areas in Canada. It's core about 60,000 of those members work on motion picture and television productions
0: audiences always care about who's in front of the camera, even some people who write them, but these are the people that make literally the scaffolding of productions.
1: Yeah, it's all areas. So it's anything from, you know, The people who work in offices to coordinate a production includes costumers, grips, uh, people who manipulate the cameras and operate the cameras. It can be, you know, electricians, lighting, basically the sort of working body of, uh, of of a production that isn't like the director or the actors or writers.
0: And of course, those are represented by other unions as well. And so IATSE has been trying to negotiate a new contract for months with the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. Why did the negotiations break down?
1: Basically, they weren't able to come to an agreement over the terms that IATSE was looking for. and and the AMPTP was willing to do. The AMPTP is a body that basically does these bargaining negotiations on behalf of the big studios, which these days now includes Netflix and Amazon as Apple, as well as the traditional ones. It's been dragged out over four months because there have been other things going on, like return to work protocols that they've had to be involved in. But They want to uh, see an improvement in pay and conditions, and they weren't able to come to an agreement.
0: The alliance says it's addressed a lot of the union's demands, including, yeah, increasing the minimum pay rates for some types of new medium productions, covering a deficit of nearly $400 million in pension and health plans. So why is IATSE still unhappy?
1: So uh, there's a few pointers. One is, you know, they have extremely long hours. So, you know, an industry standard is considered to be maybe 12, 14 hours a day. That would be, you know, long. And sometimes they, uh, one thing that has become very frequent, people, crew tell me, is something called a, a frat which is where you can start later on a Friday, but it cuts into your Saturday. So you kind of lose half your weekend. A lot of productions or a lot of crafts, they only have... Uh, a certain number of hours turnaround that means that they could have maybe less than 10 hours to leave the set, commute home, and commute back and sleep. Um, so you know, sometimes that can be you know as little as eight or nine hours, so they want more rest. The AMPTP understand is even trying to eliminate um, penalties that they would have to pay if they were to blow through lunch, for example. So say if you had to go your whole day without lunch. It's things like that they haven't been able to get concessions on that, in a way that IATSE wants.
0: We'll be back after this break. Anusha, it sounds to be like IATSE members are having that same reckoning with their careers, the way so many workers across the United States are doing. It's like, okay, before the pandemic, yeah, 12 hour days, that's perfectly fine. That's just it is what it is. And now they're like, no, you know what? After all this, we, we don't need to do this anymore. We actually want more equity. We want a fair workplace environment. We love our jobs, but we just want it to be fair.
1: So I think you hit the nail on the head. This is not a new issue in terms of working hours, for example, and also the issues about the fact that streaming platforms pay less than traditional platforms. This has been going on a little while and the pandemic obviously put a lot of stress on everybody and crews experienced that as well. But what they also saw was that studios were able to come up with funds, able to come up with uh, mitigating plans to be able to get back to work ASAP after the crisis hit. So there was a period of shutdown. Then they, you know, paid a lot of money, increased budgets, 10 20% uh, to be able to accommodate cleaning schedules, social distancing, testing, and, Crews, you know, you are often here. like if they were able to do that, you know, at a drop of a hat to get back to business, why can't they do this for us so that we can see our family so that, you know, we can get uh, decent rest, decent pay. We want a fair share of what streaming profits there are as well.
0: Is a strike then expected to actually happen?
1: You know we're a few steps away. So our understanding is that potentially around October first, the the different there are 13 locals that are involved at least in for one contract. There'll be two contracts that are up for negotiation, and so I think in total about 60,000 uh, crew members will be asked to vote on whether the leadership has the right to call a strike. So if they get a, a strongly positive vote in favor, then they have that in their armory in terms of negotiating tactics. But it seems that if you look on social media, crews are being very vocal. You see a lot of people saying they're willing to strike.
0: And if they do strike, then what does that mean?
1: That means you could have a whole raft of shows and film productions that are paused nationally. And so that would mean, uh, you know, at a time when Hollywood is trying to get back on its feet and trying to catch up from lost time. Uh, And with the even bigger backdrop that they're being hugely, there's a hugely competitive environment amongst the different studios to fuel their streaming platforms with the hottest shows.
0: And this wouldn't be like last time, the big strike in 2007 and 2008, when the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, walked out for a better contract. Back then you had Stephen Colbert writing his own jokes and Colbert could write his own jokes now, but he's not going to be able to build his own sets. Or if he would, it would take a long time.
1: You know, um, uh, hundreds of people work on 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 some productions, so it's a lot of people, and it can be very expensive to hold up shows. Uh, someone needs to hold the camera. Someone needs to give lunch. You know, these are largely unionized workforces, and so and they have certain rights, and so and work, the workplace has to be conducted in a certain way. There are a lot of different moving parts in a, in, a, in a film or TV production, and so yeah, it's not something. I mean, you, you what we could see in a similar way to. The writer strike is maybe we'll see more reality, non-scripted, which is often used, uh, often uses non-unionized workforces. So that is something that you can see.
0: You've done a lot of stories on IATSE members and the struggles they face. And a lot of them are going to social media to talk about their conditions, long hours, low pay, rough conditions. have such confessionals changed bargaining in Hollywood?
1: What we're seeing is that there's, a more of a unification of the message. And also, you know, uh, there's 13 locals on, on, on the Hollywood side. And so they are trying to negotiate as one group rather than separately. I think they've been able to use social media as a unit. And then also we're seeing that getting a huge public sympathy. We're seeing stars like, you know, Seth Rogen and Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda, you know, throwing their support. So the crews are getting a lot of uh, public sympathy while the studio's, are looking like potentially in a negative light so you know that that sort of uh, public perception will weigh on things
0: yeah i was gonna ask if Benefer has been standing on tables with signs saying live free work union go iatsi
1: i think that the, the the studios are like they've obviously been through a lot of labor action over the over the decades and there's a lot of money at stake so it's clearly like they're not they haven't been afraid to bring it this far, which is to, to potentially put it on, uh, push this union to a strike, which is which is almost unprecedented. You know, we haven't seen any kind of major labor action from IATSE since the Second World War or, or, or a, a, a similar union representing crews. So um, it has been as the body of workers that have, haven't been very, you know, motivated to go on strike in the past. So things are really, I guess, being pushed to a, a new limit.
0: And finally, the vote to strike is tomorrow, October 1st. What do you think is going to happen?
1: It's hard. To, I haven't seen anybody put out a, a negative vote, a negative sort of sentiment towards the idea of striking. People seem to be very vocal about the willingness to strike, which, given the risks that there are in terms of speaking out in this industry, you know, you can just simply not be hired. So... People, you know, I think seem to feel confident. A lot of the leadership have recommended, in some different unions, recommended voting for a strike. So I think we could see a, a vote for. And then, you know, the question will be is if they, they take that strike. You know, I, I'm just speculating. I don't know what the outcome will be. But uh, if you look online, it's not hard to find a lot of people saying that they're willing to strike.
0: Anusha, thank you so much for this interview. My pleasure. Next up, we'll hear from an IATSE member. Marissa Shipley is an art department coordinator and vice president of IATSE Local 871. She's also the chair of both its bylaws committee and pay equity committee. Marissa, welcome to The Times.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Describe what you do in your day job, how many hours it takes, the tasks, all of that.
2: As an art department coordinator, I work with the set deck and art departments to do the internal accounting, payroll, cost reporting, communication within my department and across all of the departments. Kind of, I call it the internal organized hub of this kind of creative, fast moving mess that um, blows around us.
0: So long hours, I take it's not all dream factory and hanging out with the superstars.
2: Yeah, I work on 12 hour days, five days a week, which actually in terms of our industry is considered on the lower end of the number of hours that crew work in a week. So it's a little bonkers, but I would describe myself as lucky in terms of the shows that I have found that keep a relatively reasonable schedule at 60 hours a week but I'm in a craft that is low paid compared to my counterparts in the crew. So while crew is able to take time off between jobs, we work freelance and I jump from job to job all year round, which is really exhausting. I'm working basically a year and a half in the span of a year.
0: And that's just the industry standard, it seems, just overworked, underpaid for, especially, you know, the positions that are at the end of the credits. Why do people nevertheless stay in the industry under those conditions?
2: I think it's, you can feel trapped in it. It's a very particular industry. The hiring practices are totally informal and networked. And all of my contacts are in the film industry. So I have, you know, crew who works on set have a hard time understanding what I do as a coordinator in the office, let alone people outside of the industry. I think it's hard to figure out how to translate your skills out of the industry. And we're so tired and many of us are living paycheck to paycheck, that it's, you never have the time to recover enough to adjust to figuring out what else to do. And so it's this constant grind that you just feel stuck in and it can feel really hard to pull yourself out. And so there are a lot of us that also feel like we shouldn't have to choose. We shouldn't have to choose between ourselves and work we actually enjoy doing. We actually enjoy our job and contributing to these projects. We just want to do it in more humane conditions.
0: That's the whole point of what's going on with IATSE and this union contract uh, that you folks want more equity and the industry seems to say, eh, we'll give you just a little bit more, but not everything that you folks want.
2: Yeah, it feels really dismissive and disrespectful. As a member, we work very hard for these companies to provide the content that they make billions of dollars off of. So their arguments that they're still recovering from the pandemic and whatever else it is, it just doesn't feel adequate. They find the money for everything else. They find the money for multi-million dollar deals with actors. They find the money to add that other shot that the director wants to do. They find the money for the equipment. They have found the money for all the COVID protocols. The crew are just asking for them to treat us like humans. It's not an unreasonable request. We're talking about a living wage for the members who make the least in the industry. We're talking about rest. There are many stories of members who fall asleep on their way home from work because our schedules are so ridiculous and the way that they work throughout the week is a lot of crews end up working what we call fraturdays at the end of the week so crews are starting 6 a.m on monday morning the call time progressively uh, moves a little bit later throughout the week and then by friday they're starting at 6 p.m and going into 7:30 a.m and then driving home and then barely having any time over the weekend before they're back at work at 6 a.m. on Monday. It's just an absolutely unsustainable schedule. Did the pandemic bring
0: a philosophical shift for your members, like something that gave you folks more resolve to say, hey, we need a better contract because we just went through this pandemic where there was no work for a long time and now studios are in a rush to make movies and shows and the work is back full force and everything feels even more demanding than before. So we kind of need to protect ourselves more.
2: Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think there is this crunch and pressure to recover from the shutdown last year and produce as much content as quickly as possible. I think the shutdown also gave some crew the first extended period of rest that they had had maybe in their careers. And so to hear from a lot of crew members that while surviving the pandemic, like everybody else was with the pressure and worry and all of that, that everybody else was dealing with, that crew felt relieved and like peace and rest for the first time. I think says a lot. And when crews came back to work after that shutdown, a lot of crews felt like we were promised more reasonable schedules in the return to work agreement, which had said that it is not healthy for our immune systems to be working more than 10 hours a day, day after day, week after week. It could have put us at higher risk for COVID. And so we felt like there was this kind of not contractual obligation, but promise that like, we're gonna work on our schedules. And that got thrown out of the window so fast. And so Cruz felt like the rug was ripped out from them a little bit and were just so tired.
0: Where do you think the breakdown happened? In Because obviously the studios need all your members and also theater productions. They need you. Without it, this is not going to happen. So at what point do the studios then say, you're asking for too much?
2: While I can't speak to kind of the specifics of negotiation because I'm not a member of Hollywood bargaining unit itself, as a worker, it certainly feels like we are disposable cogs to be used um, and abused. Honestly, I do not feel valued as a contributor to the projects that I help make successful. And I think... What I see and how this is playing out is just that on a larger scale. I feel that on an individual production and we're seeing it play out on the contractual level. So crews are really just asking for the bare minimum. We're asking for things that unionized workforces fought into labor law for many people decades ago. Minimum rates to make a living in the place where you are living to do that work, rest, meals during the middle of the day. Like it feels like very basic things that we're talking about, but the baseline for this industry is so extreme that our ass are treated as ridiculous when we are just saying, I need a break during the day, not only to eat a meal, but because there are members of the crew, like the script supervisors who are a department of one So if you are never breaking for a meal and they're a department of one, no one can cover them. They can't go to the bathroom. They can't eat, especially in a time of COVID where you have to be masked and can't take your mask off on stage where you are working. But also you just need a break. Like it is mental work that that person is doing all day with intense focus. And you need to just be able to take a minute and rest and so it's, it's such a basic human need that somehow gets spun into this, like, ridiculous thing that crews are asking to have a meal.
0: What's the biggest change you want to see in all of this, after all of this?
2: My hope is not just that we are successful in negotiating a contract which puts these protections for crew into place, but that this is the beginning of increased organizing for our members. I want members to be involved in their locals, to make the issues that matter to them clear to the leadership, to be part of leadership. The members are the union and it requires us organizing and speaking up and working for the change that we wanna see. And I think that's what you're seeing from members doing right now, which is with working with our union leadership has led to this moment. And I hope to see more of that.
0: Thank you so much for this interview.
2: Of course. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the L.A. Times. Tomorrow, a visit to an abortion clinic in Kansas that now gets hundreds of clients from Texas. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Marina Peña, and Ashley Brown. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Weepin. Special thanks to Mike Heflin. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puchia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.